Welcome to the new era by Web3 Connect. We're helping you break barriers and build brands in Web3, the next generation of internet. Hey everyone, welcome back to Web3 The New Era. Today we are interviewing Matt, the co-founder of The Fellowship and Creator Machine, which has created a platform to simplify the process of launching an NFT project so that you do not need any technical expertise. It handles everything for you from setting up the minting site to turning your generative art collection into NFTs. Listen in to hear Matt talk about how the Fellowship's creator machine makes launching an NFT project easy and affordable, the importance of a simple user experience that gets the job done versus complicating a tool for the simple fact of making it more Web3, how getting a job in Web3 is more about your track record in the community and less about having formal education or work experience, the approach of treating an NFT project like the startup it really is and how being chain agnostic is the future of the NFT space. So with that, let's get into the interview. All right, we are live. So today we have Matt here with us, who is the founder of The Fellowship, and he will talk a little bit more about that along with anything else he kind of contributes in the Web3 space. So I'll pass it over to you, Matt, to share a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for bringing me on. You know, as you said, founder of The Fellowship and also Creator Machine, which The Fellowship is a NFT community and Solana NFT launchpad that is attached to our creator machine software platform, which is a no-code software tool that allows anyone, regardless of their technical ability, the option to create a large-scale NFT collection on Solana. So yeah, I'm the founder, and I also basically head up product development for creator machine slash the fellowship. All right. Thank you for that. And obviously this is not financial advice, but the fellowship and creator machine are awesome. They have a really great team behind them and they're just genuine builders. And I really, truly do love what they're doing. If you as listeners listen to the June boss episode, you heard a little bit about what they do, but in terms of a little bit more of your background, Matt, like Mm -hmm. how long have you been in the crypto and NFT space? And like, how did you first get into NFT specifically? Yeah, so I've been in the crypto space for, you know, a good while. I bought Bitcoin around 2015 and then went through the next bubble and bought a bunch of coins and, you know, lost some money and learned a lot of good lessons, but got very interested in the crypto space. But I kind of stayed working in the traditional web to tech world as a product manager for a few different companies and, you know, had never lost my a kind of, I guess, obsession or interest in Web3 and was always looking at things on Twitter. And I actually started out kind of looking at Solana and being like, ah, this kind of seems like a scam. I know a lot of people are like talking about it, but 65,000 transactions per second, that doesn't sound right compared to everything else I've read. But I started to see a lot of interesting people, Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX, some people like Joe McCann, who our very respected engineers and investors like really go bullish on Solana. And I started paying attention and saying, hey, this is kind of cool. I played around with some of the DeFi apps and they, the user experience actually seemed a lot easier than Ethereum. And then I saw the kind of the, the candy machine go live on Solana, which was the first kind of major NFT smart contract that allowed more people than 
just kind of custom developers to launch projects and the boom of the DJ apes and the Solana monkeys. And I was like, what is this? Like, I need to just dive deep here and understand. And, you know, that led to myself and my partner, Stanley saying, Hey, like, if we want to really learn about this, why don't we just create our own NFT project to understand what's happening? And that was the spark for Creator Machine in the Fellowship, because as we were going through that, I'm not a technical person. I work with technical people. And I was, you know, thinking to Stanley, I'm like, dude, if I didn't have you, you know, a really strong engineer to actually be able to launch an NFT project, there's absolutely no way we would get this off the ground. And I said, what if we instead of just trying to launch an NFT project, actually built a software platform that helped anyone who's probably more creative than us, maybe an artist, maybe they're a creator somewhere else and they've already got a community. Um, let's help them do it because that's not exactly our super strong suit. We're technical people. And, and that's kind of how we got to where we are today. I love that origin story because what you're doing with the fellowship and creator machine in terms of sort of breaking barriers, honestly, into the space for people who might have that creative side or that entrepreneurial side, but don't have the technical capabilities. It's just so crucial. And I hope to see more and more of that as we just kind of continue forward in the future of Solana. You mentioned that you were a product manager in Web 2. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, are you working full-time in Web 3 on Fellowship and Creator Machine at this point, or do you still have like a quote-unquote in-real-life job? Yeah, no, I'm full-time now. You know, myself, Stanley, both quit our jobs basically the the day of the, the Fellowship NFT sale, which, you know, we were lucky to sell out and it was a good time. So, you know, we cashed out then, we cashed out some Solana to have some money in the bake to give us enough time to pursue both this creator machine and this fellowship project for, you know, at least 18 months. So yeah, we've been working full time on it since basically February. And yeah, that's where I'm at now. So hopefully this will be my last real job for a good long time. And I'll be continuing to build the fellowship and creator machine for a good long while. Awesome. Awesome. And I know you mentioned you consider yourself not to really be a technical person, but you do work with technical people. And I think that skill, that skill set of just having sort of a business mindset, but being able to like understand the uh, you know foundational concepts of what it is to operate in a tech heavy industry is so so important and i would venture to assume your role as product manager potentially helped you in that sense but could you talk a little bit more about like what skills you kind of got from that product manager role that might have translated over to allowing you to be successful here in web3 yeah i mean i think what's been really helpful to have that product manager skill set and kind of years of training is that, you know, a product manager within a tech company kind of sits in between the engineers and the designers and your business people in the company and also your customer. And you really have to speak with your customers, speak with your users and understand their problems and uh, either current problems that you are solving and current ways they're using your app. And you have to understand what's good, what's bad, you know, what can you actually do better for them? and be able to relay that to other teams to be able to build better products. And I think that's really helped me in Web3 in that, you know, I was able to clearly kind of understand the problem I had, which we were building for ourselves. And I was like, hey, I want to start this NFT collection, but I can't, you know, how could I design this in a way where it would be easy enough for at least someone like myself, or hopefully someone who even has less technical 
background or expertise or working in the tech industry to build this. And, you know, I was able to use those skills to talk with other users and kind of empathize with them as far as what they were looking to do and create a product that, you know, at least in our eyes, we're philosophically Web3 people, but we also believe that you need to build products that are easy enough to bring Web2 people into the space and use them and that not everything has to be full, full Web3 where it's always about like everything, you're owning the data, you're owning the keys, like a lot of that doesn't have to be there and you can build a product that's way easier to use. So I think that product manager skill set allowed me to really empathize with our users and understand exactly what they wanted to get done and not just design from the traditional Web3 mindset of it all has to be fully decentralized. It all has to be full key ownership, but actually make something that more and more people would use who don't have maybe that deep Web3 expertise already. Mm, 100%. I really like how you guys are kind of taking that view on things because I think a lot of projects here in the space do sort of lack that user experience perspective, you know, creating tools and articulating the value of those tools in a way that is layman's enough so that anybody and their mother can understand it. Once we start seeing more of that, I think it will help sort of accelerate some of the onboarding that many of us are looking to see from Web 2 to Web 3. In Web3 in the NFT space, there are a lot of different launch pads, right? Consumers or founders who are launching their projects have options in terms of where they actually want to launch. Can you talk a little bit about what differentiates the creator machine from some of the other launch pads on Solana? Yeah, so I think, you know, right now, a lot of the launch pads are they're not exactly uh, software driven on the back end. So like most of the teams are using command line tools or the candy machine to launch products. And there isn't a user interface or a way where an actual user themselves could launch the product. You really do still need a team to handhold you and to have engineers and launch you. And that's, that's the big difference between us and them is that we are really trying to provide tools that anyone could use without an engineer to get their project up and running. And that's, I'd say, the biggest difference. And I think one of the things, too, is we, vision-wise, are really looking to bring in creators and community builders who aren't already in Web3 yet. And I think a lot of the launch pads today are at least kind of bringing in people who are already in the space. Maybe they've even launched an NFT project before. A lot of the projects are like these DGen mints, and then you have some of these utility projects, but it's not too much expanding the pie of, users and creators in the ecosystem. And that's really what we're starting to focus on is how can we bring in more people into the space with really easy to use tools who might be outside of kind of this like Magic Eden, Solana segment of the market already. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like another differentiator of yours as compared to other launch pads is pricing too, right? Because a lot of launch pads are kind of taking post-launch royalties, you know, forever and also have higher upfront fees. Can you talk a little bit about that? The royalties thing is one thing that we, at least at this point for how we do things, we believe it's kind of unfair to take royalties. We're helping a lot with the launch, but, you know, we're not committed to do any work post-launch. So to take money in perpetuity as the, the project grows for us just didn't feel fair and didn't feel like it makes sense. So that's definitely one thing and one principle that we hold true. And then Yeah, on the front end, again, we want to bring in 
a volume of creators that and, and make it easy for people to launch projects and not make it too cost prohibitive. So, you know, we have options where you can just pay a few Solana and essentially get your project up and running. And, you know, if you do really well, that's awesome. And you get to take home more to fund your project. And, and that's just something that we also feel is fair, especially with a tool that allows people to do things on their own, where our team doesn't have to have too much involvement at the end of the day. That makes a lot of sense. And the one thing that really stuck with me was how you guys, you kind of, you put the user experience first and I feel like it's very easy to kind of miss that point, but who else does that really well? Step in and yeah. they have more volume than Magic Eden and OpenSea. Like, and we don't even realize that they're a sleeping giant right in front of us and how many grandmas and grandpas are getting their daily stepping in without even understanding what the Solana blockchain is. Right. And to have that approach is really bullish and to hear that you guys are empathizing with the consumer on that level, I think is part of the reason why you're doing pretty well, I presume at the moment. Wait, correct me if I'm wrong there. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely spot on. You know, we can always do better and I think we still need to do improve on our marketing to bring in more people into our ecosystem who aren't already in the kind of Solana ecosystem away. And I think to your point, what Stefan did amazingly is they just designed an awesome fun app and happened to add some web three elements into it. Yep. It wasn't like, let's do this web three thing and then try and build a good app afterwards. And I think that's the key. And what we need more from in the space is just let's build a tool that solves a problem and don't add in web three stuff, just because you want to make it as web three as possible, add the web three where it needs to be. And also conceal as much of the technology as possible, actually, so that more people can get used to it and have a good experience. If the technology doesn't need to be at the forefront or the web three part, then don't put it at the forefront. Um, and that's kind of how we look at it, like make the user get their job done. And for us, that's, can they create their generative art and can they get the project up and running, but they don't need to know a lot of the nitty gritty in the background about you know, like certain private keys that are being used in certain places or not, they can always get control, full control of their project. But a lot of teams like don't need that extra overhead of like, oh, shoot, I lost my key. Now I've lost the ability to change anything about my project. And it's kind of similar to like, I know Coinbase gets a lot of flack from the industry, but they're responsible for bringing almost everyone into the space, to be totally honest. And they had a similar mindset of like, you know, there's nothing wrong with an email and password login for most people to get into the space originally. Yep. And that's kind of how we, we view things. And over time, people take more and more control, but the initial step should be easy enough. And I like that, right? Because like, not your keys, not your crypto, that whole thing, but you keep it on Coinbase and it's doing the job for you. And as you get savvier, you're like, okay, let me take my stuff off of Coinbase, but it's great to onboard, just like you said. And similarly, like with Web2, you don't know what an IP address is or you don't need to. You don't need to know what like a DNS is when you're using the internet. You click on YouTube, you click the you click the app, like any three-year-old can do it from their iPad, right? So that's where the pie growth really happens. So if you could talk about like the current team behind your project, obviously besides yourself, like how many other people do you have working with fellowship and kind of what are their roles there? Yeah, so we have Stanley, who's co-founder, and also I would say kind of like chief technical officer slash engineer. Um, we've got another like pretty bad full-time engineer, and then four contract engineers that we kind of bring on or off depending on what type of projects that we need done. And then Junebus is heading up kind of our sales and marketing arm of the organization. We've got Happy, who 
helps out with community management as well as kind of our project management and ops. And then a few mods and a few kind of support uh, reps who help people kind of use our tool and you know get us feedback for how we can make things better. So I don't know the exact number, but yeah, on any given day, I think we're somewhere between like nine to 13 people on the team. And what's cool is also our team is spread geographically kind of all over the world, which is pretty, pretty cool to see. Do you find that that's an advantage or it kind of holds you back in terms of being able to communicate nicely with everyone? I think there are pros and cons to everything. I think, you know, part of the advantage is like we can bring in people from other parts of the world where, you know, in the U.S., the salary might not be considered super high, but actually in their country, they're making amazing money and we get really honestly, amazingly smart people from other countries that to hire them in the U.S. would be honestly unfeasible for us at this point in certain positions. So that's definitely a pro. I did like in the past kind of going in the office, not five days a week, but two to three days a week. I do think there is an energy and a creativity you can get from brainstorms and problem solvings in person that are a bit tougher, you know, even when you're doing, say, Zoom calls together. So I think there are pros and cons. I do think some type of hybrid model might be actually the best at the end of the day. But, you know, what we have is working for us. And, you know, we'll have to just test things over time and see if if there are better ways to make it work. But I don't think we would be able to survive with just a full U.S. team at this point. Or we'd at least have a smaller team. And what's kind of cool is like, even without doxing your teammates, I don't know if you do or don't dox, but you can kind of build a reputation and kind of build that trust without even understanding who the person is or where they live, first, last name, whatever. I will say it is interesting. We do have a few team members who are undoxed per se, like we've never seen their faces and they're kind of just building reputations online and that's awesome. And then we do have some teammates that are fully doxxed and do show up on video calls and actually show their face. So, you know, I don't think I would have ever thought a few years ago that I would hire someone and pay someone who I like, don't know their name. I don't honestly know too much about their background other than, Hey, you know, you, you worked on X project or, you know, we had a couple members on our team who were just like in the community and I would DM them and be like, Hey, like, you're answering questions better than some of the people on our team. Do you want to just join the team? That was a pretty cool experience that I think happens with a lot of projects. And and I think what's interesting about Web3 too is you just have to realize that like almost no one has Web3 skills because it's so new. So to just try and hire people from the traditional space, like say you're looking for a Web2 marketer, they might like really not understand the meta of Web3 marketing. So you kind of just have to have some trust of like, what has this person actually done? What do they know about the space and take some leap there? And I think that's also, I think obviously why your team is starting kind of Web3 Connect is because it is a completely different way of ranking who's good and and even the types of skills that they have. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of hiring and building your team, I know you guys have grown pretty significantly, I think from like a team of two into like a full scale launchpad team of 11 or maybe even more full-time workers. And you've launched 300 plus projects in like less than nine weeks, which is just absolutely incredible to see. I am curious to hear a little bit more about your hiring process. I know you were just talking about like some people you just kind of found because they were, you know, active member of the community and clearly demonstrating their capabilities as a potential worker. And so you kind of brought them on that way. But you have kind of a method of when you're looking to hire somebody new, like where do you typically go? Like, how do you typically find your talent? What does your interview process look like? Things like that. 
Yeah, so it definitely varies by the position. So like a couple of our engineers, we actually just had known from past jobs and we knew that they were interested in Web3. So we kind of did the referral route. Two people who worked more on the community side, it was just they were awesome and in the community and we kind of just reached out and DM and they had, to be honest, just proven themselves already at what they were doing. It was more like, hey, you were doing this for free. Do you want to get paid to do it? type of situation. And I think that's very common in Web3 of like someone just does something for free to show that they can do well and then they end up a part of a team. So that's been one way. And honestly, almost everyone we've hired, it hasn't been looking at their resume. It's more been they did something or they proved their worth via like some type of project or in the community. And we didn't feel like we were taking a huge risk because we had already seen some of what they've done. And that's honestly the most of what we look for is like, can you actually produce results? Can you do projects? Are you entrepreneurial? And a lot of our hiring process ends up being cool. You know, like, let's start out on a contract basis. Let's do a four-week trial. Here's a couple of projects that you're going to be working on. And then we see if that person does well on those projects. And that's really how we look at things at the end of the day. It's not about your resume per se, more about like, have you proven yourself in the past or does someone believe you're a really solid person? So. I want to pick your brain about that a little bit. You mentioned that it's so it's almost like experiential hiring where you're kind of giving them like a test trial to see if they can do the job decently well, right? Yep, exactly. Or they've already, we basically have worked together already. So we know, we feel really confident about who they are already. Gotcha. And if you could just clarify for me, so it's mainly about helping the project get to launch and set up the art, set up the generative images and the creator machine, but it's not the incubation, correct? You know, we help out a little bit on the incubation, but we're definitely more about the the technical launch side of things, ensuring things go smooth there. And usually we'll only do more heavy stuff with like maybe one project a month. We're typically just really trying to ensure the launch goes smooth, but also we will give the teams like common knowledge that we've learned along the way of like, hey, here's how you might want to time your whitelist set up. Here's some spaces you might want to go on. Or here are, you know, if they're trying to decide pricing or supply, we will give them some of just our tips from what we've seen or what we're reading in the market. But we're not like a full, you know, if you were to look at, I don't know, Hydra or, you know, another launch pad that does a bunch of full service stuff for a couple of months, that's definitely not what we're doing right now. Okay, gotcha. Unlike a lot of other projects, I feel like the fellowship and creator machine, you guys are really operating like a business. And I appreciate that because really I view NFT projects as startups. And when you're sort of taking that like business perspective, it's more helpful just to kind of demonstrate professionalism and make sure that you're kind of like operating as you need to be and thinking about the different components that you need to think about so that, you know, you end up being successful in the short and long term. And similar to, you know, a a quote unquote traditional in real life business, obviously there are talent that you might bring from the outside. If there's a specific niche that you need to fill within your company, then a specific skill you're looking for. But then there's also promotions that might happen from within. And I'm just curious to know if at this point in the fellowship and creator machines sort of business life cycle, have you gotten to that point where you've sort of given promotions to people internally? And if so, what kind of makes those particular employees stand out? Yeah, we we have gotten to that with actually a couple of people. I'd say kind of one promotion, one kind of almost change of role. So Junebus is still helping us out with marketing, but what he 
proved himself as is he started kind of almost sourcing project deals and helping to to close deals for us. And so we realized that was one of his strongest skill sets. And we've actually shifted him more into like our main both closer slash almost kind of like head of sales, where we have a couple people finding projects for him to talk to, and then he closes the deal. So that was one. And then uh, I Happy Life, you know, he started out as a mod and then became kind of our head community manager. But we very clearly started to see he was amazing at project management and support. And we had already hired a couple of support reps, but he started to help optimize our processes around all different parts of the process, like our doxing process, our ways that we project manage projects that we're doing more of our managed launch approach. And he started basically being a manager before he was one. And, you know, we said, Hey, you know what, you're, you're now the manager of our ops. In both cases, people, they kind of just saw opportunity proved that they were astute at that side of the business and, you know, were recognized for that, but it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was like a, um, you know, like a normal career track where you're like, Oh, in a, in a month I'll be up for review or anything like that. It was again, proving themselves as, as worthy before they were even in the position. So can you touch on that a little bit more? Because there's a really interesting dichotomy that you're bringing up right now, which is in my mind, when a project just mints out, you got everyone spamming the D-list trains, the floor price to 15, whatever the hell is going on. And yet you're mentioning like people that are taking initiative and seeing that things aren't done well and that they could be done better and just going ahead and doing it themselves. Is that an attitude you don't see that often in the space? Because I personally don't think I'm seeing it that often, but maybe that's because I'm not keeping an eye out for it. Have you noticed that? I don't know. Cause like, I do think times have like slightly changed, you know, when we launched, we weren't early, but like there wasn't as many projects launching per day. And I think like, at least lately in the last couple of months, there's just this, a lot of just hyped up mints where people are kind of just trying to buy and get out. So like, you don't have as much of people like truly, truly bought in at least from day one. Um, I think maybe it's a little different with utility projects where like people just really dig the utility and they're like, I believe this is a good business and something to invest in. But yeah, on the hype mint side, I think you have a harder problem, like really getting community to stick. You just have a lot of people who are like, I'm going to try and get whitelist and I'm going to flip to make a quick buck. And then I'm going to go on to the next thing. So you don't have as much true buy-in from people. So I think you're right. in kind of your observation as to where things stand now, but I do think like as a project lead, you can still kind of see as your project's building up, like who's just grinding whitelist to whitelist or like who really buys the project and try and recognize and talk to those people early in the same right after of like try and identify who's in the chat consistently that's not on your team and reach out to them and ask them, Hey, like what got you so interested? Are you interested in like actually becoming a member of the team? You just have to pay attention as a founder. That is genuinely invaluable advice. We're probably going to quote that on Twitter or something. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> So unlike some of the other projects we've had on this podcast, you guys are pretty established. You have a good number of solid collections on the secondary market. I'm curious, what are you working on behind the scenes in terms of improvements, maybe branding strategy? I know you mentioned you're trying to change your marketing. Can you just touch on like what's happening internally with Fellowship without spilling the secret sauce, I guess? <laughs> yeah, so there's a couple things which we've talked a bit about publicly. So one is, you know, Solana has actually gotten more stable, but you know, a month or two ago, it was, as you all probably know, it was like 
very hard to deal with. Things were consistently going down. So it's been more on the back end. So it's hard for users to see, but we've been doing a lot of improvements to the back end of our platform uh, on the software side to make it so that uploads are a lot faster to the network. They're a lot more stable. There's a lot more error checks to ensure that everyone's files are correct. Um, if they're coming from, say, a different art gen tool or they're doing things themselves. So we've done a lot of backend work to try and improve the stability of our platform. And we're in the midst of finishing that. We also are working on like trying to make our platform look much more like a true launch pad where you know, you're able to see all the projects that have launched, are upcoming, are currently selling, as opposed to right now, you know, projects come in, they make their project and they get their own custom mint page, but it's not a very cohesive experience with the fellowship or creator machines. That's something big. And then the other thing too is, you know, we admittedly need to do a better job kind of building our community, marketing our community. You know, we've done a lot on the utility side. We're software people, but I think we can do a lot better job actually growing our community, adding value for our holders. So we've got, you know, several items in the works to not only make the fellowship something that's valuable for the actual NFT creators, but the people who are like enthusiastic about NFTs or more on the investor side, improving our kind of tokenomics and value stream to give value to those people as well. So the way I currently understand it with fellowship, right? Because it seems like you've hired some people from within your community. Is that correct? Yeah, some from within and again, some from like we've worked with them in the past at other companies. Okay. I guess I just want to clarify the distinction between you can be in the fellowship and potentially maybe get a role or an opportunity to work for you guys and make a little bit of cash, but you're more so talking about just passive rewards for holding the fellowship NFTs, correct? Perhaps the OG ones. Okay. Exactly. okay. We want to add value. You know, we're launching a lot of projects and that's great. The creators are getting a lot of value because they bought our OGs. They got these launch passes, which they used to pay to launch their projects. But, you know, there's a lot of people in our community who are more investor mindset, who might be holding the launch pass in the OG saying like, what's more value that you can do for me? And we definitely are paying attention to that and have those people front of mind. And are, we have a few ideas in the works uh, or a few plans already in the works to help bring some more value back to those people as well. That is super exciting. I'm super curious to see what you guys pull up and kind of unrelated note, but I mean, it ties in with everything that you have to do. Like as a project founder, what would you say a typical day looks like for you at the moment? I mean, I'm sure your priorities are ever changing depending on kind of what you need to attend to, but let's say over the past week, what have you been working on? Let's say from the moment you log on to when you log off or if you even have set times for that, because I know some people are just on discord 24 seven. Yeah, it's definitely all over the place. You know, I'm working pretty hard during the day, but also it's very hard to completely turn off at night, especially because, you know, the NFT space, the Web3 space is global. So like we have users and we have people who want to talk at all hours of the day or, it, you know, maybe it's the daytime for them, but it's the nighttime for us. You know, I will say my day definitely changes a lot depending on the week or the day. So common things that happen every day is, you know, checking in with the team, making sure that we're working on the right things meetings with a few of the different team members to provide them feedback or just get kind of stats on how things are moving on their end. You know, I'll also commonly pop in the Discord, see what's happening there. I'll look at any of our support tickets and, and try to get an understanding of what are common problems that are happening. So we might need to, or where there are some gaps in the platform where we need to improve things. Um, and then, you know, usually there's one or two big strategic items that 
I'm focused on moving forward. So for example, this week, it's been both what I call Fellowship 2.0, which is what we were just chatting about. How can we provide more value to holders? A couple things on the roadmap there. And then the other big thing is we have a good sales process for finding projects within the Solana space or ecosystem who are already here. But we're working on a new sales and marketing strategy to go and find different creators who are not already in the Solana space and bring them in. So I've been working a lot on how we can execute on that. Okay. Awesome. So it, it seems like it, what you guys are obviously doing is pretty much like a tech startup, right? With all the planning and all the stuff that has to go on behind the scenes and you have to maintain it after the fact as well. I'm curious for you in particular, what were some of the biggest challenges or like learning moments that you had experienced? Maybe things that you know now that you definitely wish you had known at the beginning? Yeah. So I think it depends on kind of if you're looking at it on the creator machine side of things or the fellowship side of things. I think like as a project lead, one thing I've seen from just running our project and others is that I think a lot of teams feel this need or push from the market that they have to have this roadmap really crisply planned from day one and have, you know, consistently tell people what's going to happen one to two months from now. My key learning is that that actually tends to hurt projects, especially either on the floor price side or even just on the fact that if you do have to change, sometimes you get FUD for changing your plan versus what I think a lot of the best teams in the space are doing is they have an internal kind of vision and roadmap that is shared with the internal team, but not shared publicly. And they tend to kind of release things with a little bit of like surprise and delight, or maybe there's a little bit of a tease for a week and then it just comes out. That's one of the key things that I think we need to do a better job at. We didn't have that learning from day one, which is like just tease stuff a little before it's going to go, maybe a week max, and then just launch it. And you don't have to feel the need to have this like crazy roadmap that everyone needs to understand. I think D-Gods has proven that it's a winning strategy to go more of that route. And that same thing that Yuga Labs does with Board Ape Yacht Club is they kind of tease stuff and they launch it, but not everyone knows the full plan of where things are going. So that's probably one of the biggest learnings in the space. If you want to maintain momentum, you kind of have to act like that and have consistent stuff to get the community excited about. Mm. I feel like that's such a valuable lesson. And obviously most projects have their roadmap, right? And there is some controversy when that roadmap changes, which is funny because businesses, especially startups are constantly evolving. There is always going to be change in the plan. And of course, when you have thousands of investors or prospective investors being part of that conversation and having that visibility into what you plan and whether that plan changes becomes a little bit more difficult to manage because now you're not just working internally with your employees. You have a lot of eyes and ears on what you're doing. So I really like that strategy of, you know, keeping some things to yourself. And on a different note, kind of shifting gears here, I am so curious to hear how you describe what you do to people in real life who maybe don't have any knowledge of NFTs. I know I I encounter this challenge quite frequently because very few people in my life are familiar with NFTs, crypto, blockchain, et cetera. And so I'm curious to hear how you sort of approach those conversations. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult because it obviously begins with do they understand NFTs at all. And a lot of times you have to even just like take some time to try and teach them a bit about NFTs and the different use cases uh, that surround them. And, you know, part of my challenge too is like 
most people think NFTs are just these JPEG pictures and that's all they are. So a lot of times I spend time explaining that NFTs, you know, they can have a picture, they can have a video, but a lot of times they can represent a lot more than that. They're, they're actually like digital code. They can be access passes to certain things. Uh, they can be badges which represent your experience or skills that you've earned. They can open up new experiences for you that you can have otherwise. So I, part of the time I have to spend on that is that we're not just launching pictures. A lot of times our platform is helping to launch communities at the end of the day. Then I kind of try and do an analogy typically of like, hey, like, you know, back in the day, you know, people used to not be able to send these email campaigns to lots of different people. You would have to get an engineer and you'd have to figure out some way to code up a thousand or 10,000 emails to go up. But then people created these really easy to use software platforms that do it. And kind of what we're doing is there's a lot of people who want to be able to create 5,000 or 10,000 NFTs and start a community. And we've just created a software platform that makes it able for people to do that. And I'll say, even with all that, it's still very hard for people to understand. Um, but, you know, I, I just try my best. I think it is really hard for people to understand. It's actually, it brings that that growing the pie comment that you made earlier far more relevant. And you guys are in a great position too, if you want to onboard people that kind of want to get into Web3, but truly have no idea where it fits. And maybe that requires a bit of incubation, actually. So I'm not entirely sure about that. But while we were talking about like, what onboarding looks like. I'm curious, are there any projects, maybe category of projects that you would want to onboard through fellowship that would like to grow the pie, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things we're looking at is who already has some type of platform or community is important. And I think those are the people that we kind of want to start testing and targeting things where they could be TikTokers, YouTubers, maybe people who are doing Twitch streams or things of that, like people like a Mr. Beast, and he's obviously already experimenting with NFTs himself. You have like the Gary V's. So we want to try and find more of those people who might be a bit scared to step into the space. And like you said, we will have to provide for those type of people, some type of incubation, but we want to try and find people who already have a community and say, Hey, like, can we add value in, in giving your community this new NFT, which represents that they're like a super fan. Can we um, create unique experiences that you couldn't do previous to having the NFT or like offering, you know, exclusive rewards or access for people who have one NFT or multiple of your NFTs? Like, again, like Gary Vee has really proven that model really well. So we're trying to do more of like, can we scale out this almost like Gary Vee model to more people? And maybe they're not Gary Vee status, they're a little bit smaller, but help those people have, you know, a new potential way to interact with their community and then also raise more funds for themselves as a creator. So they don't have to, you know, give money back to the different platforms that they're on already. hundred percent. You do mention Gary V, which had me thinking a lot of these people that maybe they have a community or maybe it's kind of like a loose net community. Maybe they would rug though, because they see the cash grab. They see the easy way to just kind of get money from their holders and not really be super involved with it. So I'm curious to what extent these people that kind of curate their own communities, even for better or worse, there's a million different ways to do it, but how many of them are going to rug and how many of them are actually intending to find different ways to add value to people that are loyal to them? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a possibility, right? And uh, I think at the end of the day that hopefully they're weighing the like, do I want to crush my community and lose out on a lot of potential income down the road for this one quick win? Or do I want to see this as just the start of something bigger? You know, 
there's always going to be some people who rug. I think usually by the time they're like a decent sized creator, they've hopefully proven themselves, but we probably all know some creators who have kind of cash grabbed and rug at the end of the day. So that's not always true. So I think it's just, you, you can't really tell. Hopefully most people were good intentioned and, and not just trying to do a cash grab at the end of the day. Yeah. The thing about the space too, is like, there are obviously so many different types of people, right? around the world in terms of personality and intentions, right? And kind of motives and what they're looking to uh, achieve through their sort of behaviors or whatever they might be pursuing at the time. But in Web3, because of the anonymity aspect of it, with a lot of people not being doxxed and not sharing their identity, there's not as many repercussions to acting mm-hmm. maliciously as there might be in Web2. And I think that's why, at least from what I speculate, a lot of people in Web2 are kind of scared and apprehensive on joining the space because of that very reason and how there's not really sort of like government interference to reprimand people who are acting maliciously. And so there's not as much protection for consumers as there might be in you know the traditional Web2 world. So once we start seeing a little bit more of a shift in the way uh, maybe like less scams, I'm not really sure if that's going to happen on its own or if there does need to be some type of government interference or policy and, and regulation in order to make that happen. But once that happens, I think we'll start to see people take the space a little bit more seriously and maybe not be as like scared to join it and sort of take that risk of jumping in themselves. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do think we're at the like almost the ICO phase of NFTs. Like it's kind of just again, like a lot of there are a lot of cash grabs, there are a lot of potential rugs, but like this technology is starting to prove itself. And over the next few years, we're going to see a lot more you know, established players are like real creators and brands into the space that you'll have a lot less fear of them rugging because they do have some type of docs component uh, versus where we're at today. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you're extremely busy with the fellowship creator machine and starting another project is probably the last thing on your mind. But theoretically, if you were to start another project in the next few months, like what utility would you want to provide? Or another way to think about this is like, what do you think is kind of lacking right now in this space that you feel would provide a lot of value to consumers and users in Web3? Yeah, I mean, I think I've actually been thinking about this, right? Um, So I'm, I don't know if I can say specifically, but what I've really kind of been thinking on is what are kind of problems currently in the world where NFTs and Web3 like really would help solve the problem in a unique way where there's a reason to have it other than just buzz. I've actually been kind of deep diving into the music NFT space and, you know, potentially exploring options around, you know, how you can actually help use NFTs for, you know, super fans to invest in artists and actually get part of the revenue stream, not just of their streaming royalties, but of kind of the whole artist as a whole. And I think that's kind of an interesting niche that we might be moving into is, you know, more than just launching the project, but actually bringing value back over time from from real world revenue streams. So that's the music space is definitely something that's piqued my my interest of late. 
I don't know where this fits, and this isn't a question that we had prepared for you. I was just thinking, like for myself, would it be bullish to to have a project that offers staking rewards, and you can use said staking rewards to like maybe the project partnered with like Udemy or like YouTube Red, or just imagine some like Web two service that you can use your Web three magic token to get access to. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be awesome. I think it's something we'll probably see more of, right? Like, I think the first foray into that is, you know, that Board Ape Yacht Club and their ape coin and trying to get their ape coin accepted in more places. And they obviously didn't airdrop to start, but it sounds like staking is coming. So I'm sure once, you know, a couple of like big projects can convince real world brands to do it, it'll probably become something that's more and more common. So I think you're on the point of something that's probably coming in the nearest future. And similarly, what are your thoughts on the current NFT market and kind of what the current trends mean for the soul ecosystem in the longer term? Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're still in this phase of like NFTs more being like what I would call like the toy phase. And there's a lot of, you know, just a lot of like PFP hype projects, probably too many of those. But I think we're going to start maturing over the next year and bring in you know, there are obviously a lot of great utility projects on Solana. And I think more and more people are starting to realize that like, you can bet on a brand and that's great. And it's, I think one play that is valid, but it's obviously more risky, but there are also teams with real utility and you can take the time to understand their business model and how the NFT benefits you and be a lot more safe. So I think like, what is good is we are seeing, I think some maturity in that people are starting to try and shift more of their funds into these utility projects and less of potentially the rugs or degen cash grabs. But, um, you know, I still view us as a very, very immature in the sense that there still are a lot of those projects launching today. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree on that. And I think we share a similar vision for the future of the space. I am curious, like, you know, with the current market and sort of the recent volatility of Solana and the fact that, you know, towards the beginning of this year, it was one soul was worth around 250 US dollars. And now I don't even know what it's at, what, 30, 40, somewhere around there. I think a lot of people are starting to see the benefit and recognize the benefit of going cross chain and not kind of being tied to the success of one single blockchain. Um, So I'm curious uh, with the fellowship and creator machine, is going cross-chain something that you all have considered or have in the plans for the future at all? Yeah, it's definitely something we've considered. We're both exploring uh, near right now and uh, like Ethereum slash Polygon side of the world. Probably a bit closer to the near side of things. We're actually talking to the near foundation about how to adapt our technology to work on near. So yeah, we're definitely open to it. We want our tool to be available to anyone who wants to create, whether they decide they want to go on ETH, Solana, or near whatever feature chain is going to come out there. So yeah, we're we're 100% exploring that. And kind of similar to what we touched on earlier, in particular, when I mentioned how some people kind of ride the wave of where the project goes and they're in for the flip and other people kind of see the project for what it is for both good and bad. And they kind of make their own mark or they can find ways to make their own mark. It just got me thinking of like the different kinds of mindsets or approaches that people can have towards the space and towards their little corner of Web3. And I'm wondering if there are any like really common misconceptions that people have about this space, for example, like the value of a project lying within its floor price or Twitter raids, for example, maybe being a reliable measure of community engagement. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of misconceptions, but also like the space is so new and like a lot of value is so much based on like the, I guess you would say speculation, right? So like people do look at these as like signals of a project that might pump or dump. And because most people are not, at least in my opinion, I think investing for the long term, you're going to have things like that work. And I think it would actually be unfair to say like following these indicators, which might not be fundamental, are totally wrong. Uh, at least that's my viewpoint. You know, I think hopefully if you're investing for the long term, investing on fundamentals will do best, but hype sometimes wins in the space over fundamentals. That's at least something that we've seen on our side of things. Like a lot of like great utility projects have okay floors, but they're not super high. And then kind of just projects that have a lot of good branding and are loud do really well, even though they've got little utility. So I don't think it's fair to say one path is better than the other if you're just trying to make soul in the space one may be safer or less safe but at least my opinion is they're both kind of valid at the end of the day yeah and kind of just to to close it off here what would be the best piece of advice you can give somebody who wants to get started in this space perhaps wants to start their own project i know this is kind of a loaded question and there are many valuable pieces of advice um, listeners can get out of everything we talked about today but if there was just one thing you could tell somebody what would that be i think it's paid off for me but like i obviously believe in web3 long term and i think getting involved in the space right now will really pay dividends to whoever gets in there, whether they launch their own project or they get an amazing job at a company because they have the web re expertise. So I would just say, be a part of communities, see what's going on, but like take the leap to try and create something in the space. Even if it fails, you'll learn a lot, but you'll have skills that almost no one else uh, in the world has because it's such a tiny Web3 is tiny in the NFT space and Web3 is even smaller. So like my one piece of advice would be just just try and build something and you'd be surprised how far you can get because, you know, teams like ours and other teams in the space understand there's very few people with a Web3 skill set. And just by trying something, you might get your next job even without a resume or a traditional resume. So that's that's what I would do. Very well said. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Matt. I am a huge fan of the Fellowship and Creator Machine, and it's just really clear that you guys have an incredible team and a clear vision of where you're heading and you know what value you want to provide to the space as a whole, not only to those currently here, but also to those who might be interested in onboarding moving forward from Web2. So I think your team is a great example of using, you know, a combination of business fundamentals and like, you know, Web3 specific strategy to succeed in the space. So it's really been a pleasure having you and I'll just open it up to you to see if you have any closing thoughts or if you want to share how people can kind of keep up with you or anything they should kind of check out in regards to your project. Yeah, I mean, again, thank you for for bringing us on. Um, I feel uh, you know super blessed to have the opportunity to be here. And you know, closing thoughts. You know, like I said, try and get involved in the space. I think that's going to help just grow Web three, grow Solana. If you have any project that you're looking to start, you know, please try and come over to the fellowship and Creator Machine and just just mess around. If you have any issues, our team is there to help and support you and try and bring success to your project. So fellowshipdow.com is our website. Creatormachine.com is how to get access to the app, which you can also get from our website. So check those out, join our discord and try and create a project. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much, Matt. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. 
All right, guys, that is all we had for you today. Make sure to follow the fellowship on Twitter. That's at FellowshipDAO. If you'd like to keep up with us, we're at Web3ConnectX. And if you'd like to see a specific guest on the podcast next, shoot us a DM and we will try our best to get them on for you. But otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thank you.